Thank you to the team for leading us in worship. Um, I know many of you are thinking it is 11.50 and the sermon is just beginning, but I promise we'll be out before 2, so no worries there. Um, this past week, our students uh, went to camp, as you've already heard, uh, Caswell. It's off the coast of Oak Island or off of the coast of North Carolina at Oak Island. and uh, It's our fourth year going there, and we just had an absolute tremendous time in multiple ways. I want to share a little bit about um, for a, just a moment about what God did this past week. Um, the greatest of all, as you heard a couple of those stories, but God gloriously uh, saved four students in our group while we were there for the week. So let's give him a hand for that. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal thing to see uh, lost people come to faith in Christ and to hear their stories of realizing their need for Jesus and then seeing that only Jesus can give what what they, what they need. Uh, we had several students rededicate their life, repent from sin, see areas of their life they need to change and say, you know what, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to change that area of my life. We saw that happen. And then uh, the, the best thing of all, I, I've been to camp for, um, this is my 10th my straight year, so I, I've experienced camp now for a long time, and I've never, in all the years I've done camp, experienced um, the unity and the friendship among students group-wide, as I've ever experienced this year. So that was awesome for me to experience and to see that. For our students, I know it was good. Um, people hanging out with people they wouldn't normally hang out with and just experiencing some really cool things. So we're thankful for what God did this past week. But our uh, theme for camp this year was reimagine. And the idea was looking at those things that Jesus taught on um, that caused a lot of people to kind of turn their head. You know how when somebody says something that you weren't expecting, you just kind of look at them and you're like, what, what, what are you saying? Um, that's what we studied this week. We looked at the parables of Jesus and how he used parables to, to call out sin, how he used parables to say things that, that uh, people wouldn't listen to, but he said it to see if people could, could follow him through what he was saying. Uh, we learned that uh, we must rethink how we view Jesus and how we view what he said. Um, so the title of the message this morning is, Is He Worth It? Is He Worth It? We're going to be looking at that from Luke chapter 14, but first I want to share, it was about six years ago that I uh, went and bought a car. Um, it was the most manliest car I've ever purchased. I needed good gas mileage, so uh, I bought a gray Honda Civic, and uh, I wanted to, uh, I, I was going to be driving back and forth from Raleigh a lot, so I wanted to purchase one, so I, I went to this place, and I said, hey, I need, I need a, uh, gave them a certain model. I gave them a color. I said, this is what I want. They said, hey, we're in Hickory. We can, we can uh, send one up from Spartanburg. We'll have it there at the end of the day. I said, good, because I, I know somebody who's going uh, that way today. They can take me down there, drop me off, and I will be driving home in my brand-new car. Um, I had, my family was, nobody could, uh, was near that day, so I was expecting to drive out of there. In my brand new, or it wasn't brand new, it was a, a, a couple years old, but to me brand new, Honda Civic. So I get dropped off, I go over there, I look at it, it looks good. I'm like, okay, this car is nice, I want to get it. I open the door, and when I do, it is filled with cat hair. Absolutely filled with cat hair. It would have been okay if it was dog hair, but cats, no. So, um, so cat hair is filled with that. I actually had a guy at the end of the first service tell me, he said, hey, by the way, used to sell cars, we used to vacuum that at. Cat dander can last for 10 to 15 years. And I'm like, you should have been there then. But anyway, I didn't purchase it. But what happened is I looked at it, and, and I was like, 
I don't want this vehicle. And they said, oh, sir, um, we shipped it all the way up here from Spartanburg. I, I, I don't care where you shipped it from. You know, I, I don't want this. And, and they said, well, well, we can get our guys to detail this. They will have this thing cleaned out. You will never know it was in there. I said, the problem is I will know it was in there. Even though you vacuum it out, you may make it look good. I will know cat hair has been in this car, and I will never be able to drive it. So he said, let's go inside and talk. And I said, I know where this is going. I go inside. He sits me down, and then all of a sudden the manager comes over there, and he stands right here. And I was, I was wanting to look at him and say, look, modern in psychology, I remember my social psychology class, that the best way to sell a car is get all these people around somebody, and you will intimidate them. So about six people came around me, and they were like, so why don't you want to purchase this car that we shipped all the, all the way from Spartanburg? Like, is that far? All the way from Spartanburg. Why don't you want to purchase this car? And I finally had enough, and I looked, and I said, God has told me not to purchase this car. And they were just like... Do we ain't messing with you anymore. So they backed off. I walked outside, and I sat down for three hours and waited on, she's not my wife, but waited on my girlfriend at the time to, to come pick me up and, uh, and take me home. And she was like, why did you get dropped off? And I was like, well, I was expecting to drive it home until I found this. Um, so what happened was I went there expecting to buy this car, honestly wanted to buy that car, and I got there, and I realized it honestly just wasn't worth it to me to purchase that vehicle. But barring everything else, I didn't want it for a specific reason. And I realized it. For that reason, it was not worth me buying. And what Jesus is saying in this passage today is there are certain things that he's wanting to point out in your life and in mine that maybe we say in that area of life, following Jesus is not worth it. Jesus said some things um, that caused people to, to, to kind of look at him funny. And this morning, this message is a challenge and a reflective message. The very end, I will leave you with a few questions to reflect on. This morning is a challenge and a reflective message for you to think, is Jesus worth me following? Is he worth me following? Whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you're a seasoned believer, whether you're in the room this morning and you don't know Christ, you can walk out of here wondering, is Jesus worth me following? Because he would say, if you're going to be my follower, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And is following Christ worth what it may cost me? Is following Jesus worth what it may cost me? Because Jesus didn't come to this earth to be a church growth specialist or a salesman for his product. Jesus is trying to separate fans from followers. See, fans are those people who you go to the home game, and you're, you're okay to be there, you wear the colors, and you cheer. But the moment that you go to your rival team, you will not wear your home, you will not wear your gear there because you're afraid of what might happen to you in hostile territory. But a follower would say, no, I don't care if I get beat up, I don't care if I get in a fight, I don't care if they kick me out. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to try to get kicked out. I will go to the away team and I will wear what I need to wear, I'll say what I need to say because I am a follower of this team. See, often I think what we do is we become fans of Jesus and not followers. And Jesus is trying to separate his fans from his followers. He doesn't want uh, um, Facebook friends. You know, you have like 1,000 of them, but you've never met 998 of them. He doesn't want those people. He doesn't want Instagram followers. Jesus wants followers. He doesn't want fans. So we have two truths this morning. The first one is this. Following Jesus may cost you. Realistically, you should say following Jesus will cost you. 
Jesus says uh, some rather interesting things here. He says there are certain people who cannot be my disciples. And he says, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father, hate your mother, hate your wife, hate your children, hate your brothers and sisters, hate even your own life. If you don't do those things, you cannot be my follower. That would make anybody's head turn. What exactly are you trying to say, Jesus? Are you saying that I should legitimately hate these people? The term hate is very strong. Should I hate these people? What am I supposed to do with this? What he's saying in context, the, the phrase doesn't mean hate, like I've got I've to hate my parents or I've got to hate everything about my life or I can't be his follower. In context here, it means you must hate means love less. It means love less. You, you must love these things less than, than something. And that something is, is Jesus. He says you must bear your own cross, and that means being willing to give up pain and rejection from people because of what you choose to follow. See, because he's promising that people will reject, he says in John, people will reject you. Why? Because if you're his follower, who do they first reject? Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, you will be rejected at some point because he was rejected first, and he's saying you, you must be okay with that, or you must ask yourself the question, is, am, I, am I worth it? He then uses a couple of illustrations. He, he asks the question as to, to whether or not a builder would first go into building a project before calculating the cost. We have multiple builders in our church, multiple contractors, people who build. And he says, no builder in their right mind would go begin a job without ever setting a budget for that job. Why? Because you get halfway through the job, and all of a sudden you're over budget halfway through the job, and then you've got to realize, hey, I've got to finish this. So you've got one or two choices. You either finish the job and lose, or you say, it's not worth it, I'm done. And Jesus is saying there's, there will be some point in your life where you say either I'm done following Jesus because it's not worth it or I don't care if I have to finish, I'll go through whatever I must because he is worth it. He then uses an illustration about a king going to battle and says a king goes into a battle with another king and, and, and why in the world would a king with 10,000 warriors want to go fight a, a king with, with, with a million uh, uh, fighters. Why in the world would he do that? No, first he would figure out, am I going to be able to beat these guys? It'd be like a, a varsity high school team saying, you know what, we've got to figure out, should we play the Golden State Warriors? Should we do that? And the answer to that question would obviously be no, you shouldn't because you would die. But the king, the king has to figure out, should, should, should we go fight this battle or not? And, and ultimately, if you know it's not worth it, you, you don't go fight it. Jesus is saying to truly be a disciple of, of me, is to follow him at the, potential of, at the potential cost of giving over your rights to everything important to you. To follow him means giving over your rights to everything important to you, giving over your rights to, to him. This, this doesn't mean he wants to take things from you. God is not in the business of just wanting to take things for, from you because he thinks it's fun. No, but he wants rights to everything in your life because if you call him Savior, then he is also Lord, and Lord means master. So when you say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, you are saying you have full control over every aspect of my life. That's what Jesus is wanting. That's who he's, that's who he's going after. But I'll be honest, for us, for us here in, in, in America, it's, it's probably not going to be as hard as it would have been in Jesus' time. 
To become a follower of Christ meant you most likely, at the very least, would get thrown out of the city. And at the very worst, which is what happened to many first century Christians, you would be killed, and many times in a very gruesome manner. That, that's what it cost Jesus uh, Jesus' followers in his time, in many countries today, Muslim countries, uh, they don't celebrate, if somebody comes to faith, they don't celebrate baptism by, by a big service and, and smiling and cheering and yelling. No, the person goes into the waters of baptism, often with no smile, because they know the moment they come out of the waters and they go home to tell their mother and father they will probably be sent out of the house. But they think it's worth it. Now, that's not to make you and I feel guilty. We need to be thankful that we're in a country where we can freely celebrate Christ. But it just means that what it costs Jesus' followers and what it costs some people probably won't be as hard as what it's going to be for us. or what it, It's not going to be as hard for us as it would be for them. But either way, when you feel rejected from someone because you choose not to do what they're asking you to do, that's going to be difficult. And Jesus is saying, listen, am I worth it to you? Let me ask you this question. What is the most precious thing to you that you could not give up at any cost? What's the most precious thing to you that you could not give up at any cost? You know, it's like imagining your, your house is going to get swept away in, in, in some kind of floodwaters, and you can run in and save one thing. You're going to save the one thing that's most important to you. But Jesus is saying this, is there something you love more than me? Is there something you love more than me? And here's how you can tell. Does Jesus have control over every area of your life, or are there some areas of your life that you say, no, Jesus, you can have that, but you will not have this? Is it your relationships? Maybe there's something you own, a possession that you have that you say, you know what? Like, I'll do with that what I want. Nobody tells me, not even God. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your kids. Your kids mean more to you than Jesus does. Kids are a great thing. A family is a, is a great thing, but often what we do is we take these really good things and we turn them into God things, and God says, no, you can't take something that I've given you to be good and make it over me. No, maybe it's your, uh, for, for teenagers in the room, it's your status among friends. That matters more to you than anything that Jesus has ever said about you. Jesus says, if, if I'm not your first priority, you, you can't be my disciple. And think about it, he can't. How can you follow Jesus in every aspect of your life if he is not in control of every aspect? Because if something is in control of you in one area, that means he's not. And he says, the only way you can truly be my disciple is if you what? Follow me and count the cost. So what can following Christ cost you? Verse 33 uses the phrase that we must give up something. This means that we are yielding over our rights to something else. You see, following Christ is not about losing something. Instead, it's about giving your life to him to have complete control. Giving your life to Christ, saying, Jesus, you're the one who's in charge of, of the friends I should have, of the relationships I should be in, of my future, of my personal desires, not, not me. And that's hard to grasp. I'm not up here saying that as somebody who's got it all together. No, that's a difficult thing to grasp. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower and not a fan, you have to. You have to realize I've got to be your first priority. Second truth this morning is this. Following Christ is worth it. The title of the message is, Is He Worth It? Well, I'm telling you now that, that He is. Some of you struggle to follow Christ closely because there are competing desires ruling your heart, and you don't know which one is, more, is worth more than the other. 
But then you, you, you ask yourself the question, what makes following Christ worth it? Why, why would I give up my desires to somebody else whenever I can have what I, what I want? Why, why is that the case? Because Jesus bought your life. 1 Corinthians 6 says that you were bought with a price. And that price was his own very life. Jesus did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. Picture it this way. When Jesus died for you and me, he didn't see us drowning in water and throw a rope and say, hey, let me pull you in. Jesus jumped in to the water, threw us out of the water, and in doing so, drowned under the weight of our sin, under the weight of our shame, killing himself, yet saving us. God takes your sin against him very seriously, so seriously that when punishment came, it was death. God wasn't going to handle uh, someone opposing his character in heaven, so he punished for sin, except his punishment wasn't given to us. It was given to who? To Jesus. That's the gospel. You were the one who gossiped, and Jesus was the one who never opened his mouth. You were the one addicted to pornography, yet Jesus was the one who was nailed to a tree. You, you were the one being judgmental and mean, yet Jesus was gasping for breath. You, you were the one who was telling lies, yet Jesus was the one who died with God's back turned against him. And he said, the very reason I did this is because your life is worth so much to me. The reason he must be worth more than anything else to us is because you and I were worth more than anything else to him. We've got to realize our lives are, are, are to be lived for Christ because Jesus died so that we could live. He must be worth more than anything else to us because we were worth so much to him. And, and that's why Jesus is not into somebody who's walking on the fence saying, hey, today I'll follow you, but tomorrow it may be a hard day because I'm going to be around some people and i got to try to fit in. He says, no, I gave my life for you. And I went all the way to my death to give my life for you so that you could just walk on the fence and know, I either want you to be a follower or I want you to be a fan. And I'll be honest, that's not the most comfortable message to say, to preach, or even hear, but it's Jesus' message. If you want to be his follower, you've got to commit or you've got to say, no, nah, I'm not into that yet. But he doesn't want a half-hearted Christian because to say Jesus is Lord but not give over control in every aspect of your life is like saying you're an employee for a company but you never clock in. Jesus wants someone who is a follower, which means you must trust him more than you trust anything or anyone else, including yourself. The only way you can be a follower of Jesus is to think that what he says about you is true, what he says will happen will happen, You've got to trust that who he says he is is actually the truth. Because when that becomes the core of who you are, then you can begin to say, you know what, Jesus just may be worth it. You see, if, if you're ever rejected because of your faith, remember that Jesus was rejected for you. If it's ever difficult to live for him, remember that Jesus died for you and for me. So let me ask you this question. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you? Have you thought what it may cost you to follow him? Are you, are you willing to lay aside your rights to all other things in order to follow Jesus? See, because there was a man in Luke 18, and, and it's in other Gospels, that Jesus uh, had, a, had a 
a meeting with, he, a guy walked up, and he was a young man. He was wealthy. He was the guy you'd want on your staff. He was the guy you'd want on your team. He was the guy who you would want to be around. And he comes up to Jesus, and he says, good teacher. And immediately Jesus knew he was trying to, 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 to throw out some flattery. And, and Jesus says, why you call me good? And he says, look, I've kept all the commandments. Am I getting into the kingdom? And Jesus said, that's good that you've kept them all. But I want to ask you a question. You've kept all the commandments. That's good. You haven't uh, murdered. You haven't committed adultery. You haven't lied. You haven't stolen anything. I'm proud of you. That's good. But let me ask you to do something. Can you take, since you're wealthy, can you take some of your money, sell some stuff off, and give some of that money to the poor? And that guy, it says he walked away sad because he was a wealthy man. What's happening there? What's happening is that that guy was willing to follow Christ until it got to an area of his life that he wanted complete control. Jesus wasn't worth giving up the thing he wanted most because the thing he wanted most wasn't Christ. So for you this morning, what is that thing that controls your life that's not Jesus? Let me ask you to do something. If you would bow your heads for a moment, we're not going to close with the song. I want to close with the, with the time of, of you to be able to reflect Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Is there something? Pray and ask God to reveal this to you right now. Is there something in your life worth more to you than Christ? If so, what is it? What is that thing, that person, that job, that status? What is worth more to you than following Christ? And then ask him to help you realize that because of what he's done, he's worth more than whatever that is. And ask for power, for strength, for boldness to, to get through that. Maybe God's impressing on your heart to repent of a specific sin. And that sin is a symptom of something going on in your heart. Or perhaps you've just lost sight of what it means to truly follow Jesus. Jesus, we come to you now knowing that you left heaven and, and came down so that we could have heaven with you. And you gave your life so that our lives wouldn't be taken. Jesus, you accepted the, the force of God's wrath so that we could have God's peace and, and purpose and favor. Jesus, right now, as... as Holy Spirit, as you are moving in, 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 in minds and in hearts of people, I pray that you would reveal to us a thing that's worth more to us than you if, if it's there. And I pray that if it is, you would show us what it is. Show us the way that we can no longer be a fan, but be a, a follower. Jesus, we thank you this past week that you uh, miraculously saved the lives of four students at our church. 
We thank you for entrusting them to us to disciple them and to see them grow as, as your followers. I pray that you would do your work in us so that your work could be seen in us and through us, that we would be used for your glory. And when we're used for your glory, it's, it's for our good. God, thank you for giving us life through Christ and not through trying to earn it. Thank you for grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.